Would you join with me in prayer? Father, as we come before you and your word this morning, we ask that you would cause our hearts to be aligned to your heart, that we might learn to love what you love and hate what you hate. Would you cause our will to be in alignment with your will, that we would crave that which you crave Would you cause our actions, our thoughts, our emotions, all that we are to be in alignment with your sweet and perfect and holy character? Would you help us to be blessed? We bless your name, and we ask that you would consecrate us, your people, by the preaching of your word and by your Holy Spirit. And all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning, I, I wanted to share a testimony with you. This is not the sermon, but re- singing that song and, and considering the blessings of the Lord, I thought it would be, it would, it would be good to, to give you a testimony of God's praise and blessings for us. Uh, this, this church, Christ Church, um, has merged with multiple churches over the years, and, and, uh, but it was formally begun in 2007 in a, um, a shopping center. Well, the first Sunday was in a hotel lobby, and then uh, the second Sunday we began in a, a retail store behind Quiznos on Kali Saloom, Kali Saloom Road. And uh, looking out, I can see a few of you that were there. And I think it was about 900 square feet, very small, incredibly small. Every Sunday we prayed that the fire marshal didn't work on Sundays. We might need to continue to pray that. But, but one day as we were wrestling with what to do and with the size of our facilities and, and the growth that God had brought to us, um, it was the end of a service. And the, the way the room was, it, it was very similar to this room that you could see outside. You could see someone walking up. And it was at the end of the service, and there was a, a, a man walking up to the church facility, not at the normal time. Like, he, he was about an hour and ten minutes late. And I was like, okay, well, what's this? Well, I, as he got closer, I recognized him. He was Pastor Jim Allen, um, who... Uh, who pastored at this building right here, that little chapel. And uh, he came into the church, and he pulled me aside, and he said, our church has decided that we would like to deed this property to you guys. Just like that. And we went from a 900-square-foot retail shop to this six-acre beautiful facility for free. Just like that. I mean, what a blessing. What a blessing. What a testimony to God's provisions. Amen? And here we are back here on this property um, in a brand new building. I mean, who would have ever imagined? I wanted to, to read something and check your emails because you'll be getting the, uh, the budget for this uh, upcoming year soon in your email. But, but this is the totals for this building project. The members gave designated funds to the building project $203,507. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
I mean, who would have thought we were all so rich, right? Wow. We are. We are. Uh, Stuller gave us through a grant and through the the hard work and efforts of many people in our church, he gave us $50,000. That's amazing. We sold off other buildings that we had acquired over the years. We sold the Northside facility, the Abbeville facility, and the Doosan facility. And we did a jogathon. Kids, y'all remember the jogathon? We raised $18,294 at the jogathon. Those kids killed it. This year we need to do it again, maybe for a playground or something like that. We'll, we'll have to pray about it. The total funds that were able to be gathered and raised were one million one hundred and fourteen thousand four hundred and seventy-five dollars total funds raised, and that's not including the donation of this building, which at the market two years ago was probably worth about another hundred thousand dollars. The steel. The total funds raised. Let me say that one more time for you: one million. $114,475. So about $1,100,000. Wow, that's something else. The total expenses for building this building, as of now, $1,079,702. Isn't that something? <laughs> so we have a few more things to do uh, as far as landscaping. But essentially, God gave us exactly what we needed. That's the, that is what it looks like when God opens up the windows of heaven and blesses us. Amen? Wow. May we be found faithful. May we be faithful stewards so that the next generation and the next generation can receive blessings from us. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's look at our, our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We're continuing in a sermon series on happiness. It's entitled The Pursuit of Happiness. And we will review later on in the sermon. So let's just jump right in, starting at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be, say that word, glad, happiness, gladness, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me ask you just as we begin here this morning, what is it that you want ultimately in life? What do you truly crave? You know, what is the one thing that if you had to, to, to mention governs all of your decisions? It's the rudder. It's, it, it's what drives you. It's what steers you. Your ultimate 
cravings, your ultimate desires. Well, Jesus says in verse 6, if you want to look at that real closely, he says, blessed or happy, it could be translated and probably should be translated happy, happy are those who hunger and thirst, who crave, who desire, who want more than anything in this world, righteousness. That's who is truly happy. Why are those who want righteousness truly happy? Because they actually shall be satisfied. They will get what they want, righteousness, and as a byproduct of that, blessings, happiness on the inside. You want to experience the abundant life that Jesus speaks of, resurrection life, Holy Spirit, powerful blessings. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to feel that in your heart? Do you want to be happy? Then you need to be craving righteousness. Amen? Now, this, of course, is not at all um, what we are taught by the world or by the spirit of the age. We are taught um, directly and indirectly. And not only do, are we taught these things, but, but we catch this vibe from our world, from our families, from our friends. We are taught that happiness is not found in the pursuit of righteousness. Happiness is found in the pursuit of pleasures. Pleasures of the flesh, food, warm tea, soft mattresses, softer mattresses, larger mattresses, fine linens, beach vacations, Exciting thrills, anything that will give us a dopamine hit, right? The world teaches us if you want to be happy, what you need to be is comfortable. You need to be enjoying the, the fine pleasures of this life. Now, these are blessings from God. We did an entire sermon series on how God gives prosperity and blessings to his people. I mean, warm tea is amazing, amen? Or coffee and fine linens. These are great and wonderful gifts from the Lord, but there is no ultimate satisfaction in these things. That's the key. If you set your heart on those things, on the things which cause the dopamine rush in your mind, drugs, alcohol, right, skydiving, sexual pleasures, if you make that your ultimate goal, if that is what you ultimately crave, the Bible calls that idolatry, and the Bible promises you, you will never be happy. Not truly, not deeply, you might sense some level or some uh, definition of happiness, but it will be temporary, it will be shallow, it will not last. Jesus calls that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. You know, our world teaches us that happiness is found in the acquisition of things, more things. Not everybody is into dopamine hits and exciting thrills and, and food and alcohol and sex and fine beach vacations. Some people just want a lot of stuff. And they work hard for it. They don't go on vacations. They don't, they don't necessarily um, spend their days drinking or taking drugs. They work hard. They make straight A's because they want stuff. They want a nice car, a nicer car, an even nicer car. They want the latest and the greatest. They're constantly upgrading, constantly dreaming, constantly shopping, constantly consuming. This is the American way, right? This is the American way. Jesus calls this, John, the Apostle John, Jesus' inspired word calls this the lust of the eyes, the desire for all the see, even those things which don't belong to you like other people's wives. Right? 
or other people's possessions, other people's property. If, if, if what you believe is going to give you final and ultimate happiness is just the acquisition of more things, I assure you, you will come up shorthanded. Amen? No matter how big your houses get, no matter how big you build your barns, no matter how much things you acquire and collect and hoard, you will never find any deep, long-lasting, permanent, essential happiness in anything in this world, in the acquisition of possessions. Nor, I might add, will you find ultimate satisfaction in minimalism or the giving away of all things or asceticism, which, which eschews food and drink and sex and takes vows of celibacy and abstinence. There is no ultimate satisfaction or happiness in that either. There is no happiness found in the praises of men. Many people aren't necessarily about the acquisition of things or uh, dopamine hits or thrills or asceticism or anything like that. What they want are the praises of men. They want honor, they want fame, they want glory, they want notoriety. They want to be patted on the back by their friends, their family, their parents, their boss, the world, the media. John calls that the, the pride of life, the pride of life. Want to be thought of as handsome and successful, a noble benefactor. And it drives you. It compels you. That's what you really want in life. You want to be thought of as a somebody. That will never satisfy you. And the pursuit of that, ultimately, the Bible calls idolatry. And it will not lead to your ultimate happiness. It will lead to short-term happiness and then to slavery. To slavery. You know, many people... John chapter 12, verse 42, rejected Jesus simply because what they wanted was to be thought to be good and righteous and holy by everyone else in town. Look at this passage. Nevertheless, many, John chapter 12, verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. There it is. They were afraid of being cast out, rejected by their family and their friends, thought of as a social pariah. They believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't say it out loud because ultimately they didn't want righteousness. What they ultimately wanted was the honor of their religious establishment. You see, none of these things, dopamine hits, sexual pleasures, Drugs, soft mattresses, beach vacations, none of these things are bad. They're all good. Paul says that he is convinced and that the Lord taught him that nothing is in and of itself sinful. Sin comes from the heart, amen? Nothing is sinful or bad about the acquisition of more possessions. The Bible actually promises the meek, the entire earth. That's a lot of possessions. But where the sin lies is when inside your heart you crave anything other than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, ultimately and alone. Amen? So, if the key to happiness is the pursuit of righteousness, the hunger and thirst, the desire for righteousness, 
What does it mean to be righteous? Well, this is a very important lesson, and if you're new to Christianity, I want you to put on your thinking cap and listen very carefully to this. The Bible speaks of two forms of righteousness, two types of righteousness, imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. That sounds fancy, but you're gonna, I'm going to explain it here in a second, and this is an absolutely essential and important aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Why did Jesus come into this world as a baby? Why not just come in the world as a 33-year-old, about 100 yards from Golgotha, and just walk on up there and die? Why a baby? Why all those years as a carpenter, going to Sunday school, learning, learning his alphabet, obeying his parents, navigating the difficulties of a teenage life? Why did Jesus come as a baby? Because Jesus Christ didn't just come to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He did pay the penalty for the sins of all those who believe on him on the cross of Calvary. So who here has had their sins forgiven because Jesus Christ paid the price? So you were once condemned by the law of God at infinite negative, at infinite negative. Your bank account wasn't at zero. It was at infinite negative. You needed to be forgiven. You were in debt. You owed a sin debt. And Jesus paid that price. But that only brings you up to zero. And the standard of perfect righteousness that God receives is not debt-free. No, that's not enough. The standard that he receives is absolutely utter perfection. Infinite positive virtue and righteousness and record-keeping. See, that's why Jesus came into this life as a baby and not just at 33 years old to die on the cross. He came to live a perfect life, amen? To complete a perfect record. His sheet is clean, it is pure, it is perfect, undefiled. Before the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ is beloved. He delights in his Son and Jesus is absolutely perfect and has fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He's the only one that actually deserves to go to heaven. But the Bible teaches us that that righteousness, that record of Jesus, and listen carefully, if you're not sure about Christianity, this is at the heart of it. That record, that perfect righteousness, that clean slate, that approved record by the Father can be given to someone. It can be imputed to them. It can be accounted to them legally. So that when God looks upon you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you have repented of your works and your righteousness and your pursuit of idols and your pursuit of happiness outside of Christ, if you've repented of that and turned to Jesus Christ, his record can be given to you. And your record, which was defiled and unclean and spotty and worthy of hell, is given to him and is nailed to the cross of Christ and expunged. That is called the great exchange, and it is absolutely an essential aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just die for you, he lived for you. He fulfilled the record of God's law for you, and if you believe on him, you can have that record. So that when God looks down upon you, he sees you united to Christ with Christ's record, and he slams the gavel and says, not guilty, my son in whom I am well pleased. And that's what the Bible refers to as righteousness. You are righteous when you believe in Jesus. You have been declared righteous. You are justified, which is another English word for that. Amen, Christ Church? 
That is an absolutely important aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now once you are justified, once you are no longer a criminal under the condemnation of the law for all of your sins, and you have a right standing with God, he now is open to send to you the Holy Spirit and to begin working in your life. And what does he work in your life? Well, one of the things he does is he changes what you want so that you no longer ultimately want the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, life, and the lust of the eyes. You no longer ultimately want the dopamine hits and the thrills and the sexual pleasures. You no longer want the praises of men and the honor of people. You no longer necessarily want a bigger house and a bigger car. Those are nice things. Those are fine. But that's not where your ultimate cravings lie because God has given you the spirit and he has given you new desires, new will, a new heart. And that heart because of the gift of God, begins slowly but surely and sometimes in an immature, baby-like way to want righteousness, to be righteous, to do right, to obey the law, to be more like Jesus. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be righteous according to his law? Then pursue that, want that, crave that, hunger after that, ask for more of that, and you will be satisfied. And that's what it means to be blessed. And you can, in your life, experience, experience in your heart, genuine, long-lasting, never-fading happiness. Rather than the misery and the emptiness that comes from pursuing satisfaction from the things of this world. Amen? 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Well, Let's just review real quickly. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I want to drive this point home just in case there's anyone here that needs to hear this carefully. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, because of the incarnation, because of Christmas, because of Jesus coming into this world, now the righteousness of God has been manifested, that is shown, displayed, apart from the law. Not a righteousness that comes from you being a good person, No, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the Bible talked to us about this righteousness that would come. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's for you if you believe. That's imputed righteousness. That's a free gift from the throne room of heaven if you believe on Jesus Christ. But then after that, with the Holy Spirit guiding you in your life, 1 John 3, verse 7 Little children, let no one deceive you, whoever practices righteousness. You see, there was the gift of the imputed righteousness, the the perfect record given to your account, but now there is in the Christian life the practice of righteousness. And no one's perfect, and Jesus died for those sins, but we practice righteousness. And whoever is practicing righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And here's what Jesus is telling us. If you want to be righteous, I'm not saying if if you are righteous, none of us are objectively righteous with perfect records. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? God has slammed the gavel and declared us not guilty because of Jesus, but we're not, we're not living perfect and righteous lives. But if you want to be righteous, if you want to obey his law, if you want to improve in that area, that's the key to having a happy life. You want to have an abundant life? You want to have a good life? Do it Jesus' way. Teach your children that the way to have a good life, that the key to an abundant life 
is not in the acquisition of more things, not in the honor and the notoriety of men, not in sexual, um, uh, adva- sexual things or, or drugs or alcohol or, or thrills or vacations or m- mudding and four-wheeling. That's not ultimately where you can be happy. Teach them that if you want to have a good and happy life, learn every day more and more to do it Jesus' way, to walk in his steps, to be more like him, and you'll have a happy life. Now listen, John chapter 14, verse 23. I want to show you this real quick. Because it's not your obeying necessarily that makes you have happiness on the inside. We have to understand this. Like, why is it that if I want to be righteous and do righteous and follow Jesus and follow his law, why does that make me happy? Why does that make me feel satisfied? And I'm going to show you right here. Look, Jesus answered him. He said, if anyone loves me from the heart. We're not talking about rote obedience. We're not talking about external obedience. We're talking about obedience from the heart. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will obey. He will practice righteousness. Amen? But that's not all. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That's why you're happy. That's why you're satisfied. Because when you cry out to heaven to be like Christ, to be righteous, he hears that and he comes to you. And he is the source of happiness. And now you have him with you, teaching you his ways. And that is why if you pursue righteousness, you will go to the throne room of heaven asking for it because it only originates there. It does not come from you. You will ask for that righteousness and he will come to you and he will give to you himself true righteousness and you will be happy. But be careful, guys. Listen, there's a lot of counterfeits, demonic counterfeits that almost look like the pursuit of righteousness, that almost look like wanting to obey Jesus, but that never, never eventually lead to happiness. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. Now, read, this is a long passage, but read along with me. Can you all see it back here too? Awesome. As for you, son of man, he's speaking to Ezekiel the prophet. Your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. See, Ezekiel was apparently a great preacher, a fine rhetorician, an orator, and people are all over town saying, hey, come to hear the great preacher. Hear, Hear the oratory, hear the words that are coming from his mouth. And they come to you as people come. And they sit before you as my people. A great assembly. Revival is breaking out. It's a mega church. And they hear what you say. Ooh, but they will not do it. You see, the, the, the key distinction here is, is that they want religious goods and services. They want the church services. They want the churchiness. They want the sermons. They're downloading them and, and, and consuming them on podcasts. But they don't do what it says. They don't obey. They're not pursuing righteousness. They're pursuing religious goods and services administered by the professionals. That will not bring you happiness. That's a counterfeit. And that is a very common counterfeit in America. It goes on, for with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. 
Verse 32, and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs. You're like a rock star. You're a celebrity with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Going to church is not exactly the same thing as pursuing righteousness, especially if your church is audience-driven, performance-based, and that can be anyone. That can be any church. It really can. Your heart needs to be actually pursuing the law of Jesus that you've learned, that you've studied, that you've come to know, not in religious goods and services administered by the professionals. Amen? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, blessed, happy. See right there, where there was no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. What does it mean to give people prophetic vision? It means to teach them the law. And look right here, blessed is he who keeps the law. Happy is he who keeps the law. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 8. This is another counterfeit. Jesus, in condemning the Pharisees, he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. See, the Pharisees were known for adding to the laws of God. If you want to be happy, you have to pursue the actual law of God in the power of the Spirit of God from the heart. You have to pursue actual righteousness, not what passes for church tradition or for the status quo. And why did the Pharisees minister to the status quo? Why did they make sure externally they did everything according to the tradition and what everyone else thought was actually righteous? Why did they do that? Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful. You see, what they were going for was not a true inner righteousness. They were following the status quo, the traditions of the elders, what is passed for righteousness in their society so that everyone else in their society would think they're religious and righteous. That is just another version of the pride of life and man-pleasing. But it passes for the pursuit of righteousness, but it's not. No, listen, Christ Church, it's very simple here. If you want to actually be happy, go to the throne room of heaven in prayer and ask God to make you more like Christ. Ask him to show you how to live and how to think and how to feel and how to want and make sure that your cravings align with his cravings. Amen? Amen. Now, let's review, and then we're going to be done for the day. Let's go back to our text at the very beginning, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Because I want you to see throughout this whole sermon series that the Beatitudes are, come as a package deal. They come as a package deal. Each Sunday I preach a different one, but they all come to someone at one time. They are a package deal. And so we start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now you need this review and if this is your first Sunday, listen carefully to this. This is how to be happy from Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He says, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? You want to walk through the gate of happiness? You need to recognize that you are poor and destitute without God. You bring nothing to the table. Amen? You start there. You start there. But then, after entering into a relationship with God, into the kingdom of heaven, it is now yours. You've walked through this gate of blessing with nothing in your hands. He then comes to you, and he teaches you his law, and he shows you more of his gospel, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. And you begin to see your sins, and you mourn over your sins. 
But then Jesus comes to you and he comforts you. And day by day, as you see your sin, you repent of your sin, and he comforts you because he has paid the price for your sin. He has atoned for your sin, and he's now for you, and he's gonna help you with this sin. And you do mourn over it. Then he asks you to bow your neck and to submit to his easy and gentle yoke where he will teach you how to be meek, teach you how to go where he says to go. And over the course of your life, you'll learn, you'll have an intuition for what Jesus wants you to do by his word. And when he says go right, you go right, and left, you go left, straight, you go straight. You're learning to be submissive. You're learning to be meek. And as you do that, you walk in the inheritance of the earth, more of that, that inheritance that he has in store for you into the future. But what's going on in your heart this whole time? What's the drive, right? What is that, the carrot? What is the, the engine that drives all of this? What is the, the hunger that keeps you going forward every single day, mourning for your sin, learning how to be meek, submitting to his will? It's the very next parable. It's the very next beatitude, verse 6. It's that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's Jesus, I want more of this. Show me how to be meek. Show me how to obey you every day. Mourn over my sin when I see it. He comforts me. And I want to be righteous. I want to hunger. I want more. I want more. I want more. And if that's characteristic of your life, you are promised satisfaction. He will come to you. And he will teach you. And what is the righteousness that you will be learning day in and day out? Well, it's the next one. You'll learn how to be because he is merciful. And you'll learn how to receive mercy. You'll learn that. Let's go on to the next one. You'll learn how to be pure in heart. You'll see God. You'll experience God more and more. You'll learn how to be a peacemaker in your family. You see, you don't know how to have peace in a marriage when you first start. You learn that. You grow in that righteousness. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Verse 10. You'll learn how to persevere even when you're persecuted by friends and family. You'll learn how to keep on keeping on every day. If that is your life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're blessed. You have genuine, deep down, long-lasting, unconditional happiness from the Lord. Amen? Let's all stand. Join me in prayer. Father, we do ask, acknowledging that all righteousness comes from the throne, it is not something we can pump out of a dry well. It is not something that we conjure, but it is a gift from the throne room of heaven. And we ask you, Father, that you would help our church to be more righteous, more in alignment with your will and with your character, more conformed to your image, and help every single individual in this room, if they are not yet yours, if they don't yet long for righteousness, would you put in their heart the want to want to? Would you put into their heart a longing to long for righteousness? Would you begin that work calling them to yourself? In Jesus Christ's name, amen.